Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. I am Patrick Cummings, as always, joined by Ben Bergeron. Every week here on the show, we dedicate some time to exploring how we can live a life of better health and increased fulfillment. We answer your questions about the five factors of health, dive deep on living a life of excellence, and explore the strategies and frameworks to help us chase what truly matters. Thank you, as always, for tuning into the show. Hello, and how the heck are you, Ben? I like how you say, how the heck? I was, I was going to say, how again? I'm good. Good, man. Um, we are going to just jump right into it. We're going to jump into our warm-up. Our warm-up is when we take uh, questions from listeners about the five factors of health, those few fundamental behaviors that most positively affect our performance, vitality, and longevity. They are, for those folks who might be new, how we eat, how we move, how we think, how we connect, and how we recover. Are you ready, sir? Ready. First one is from the move factor. What are your thoughts on barefoot and minimalist shoes for foot uh, for foot health and strength? Are they good for everyday wear? And I'm going to assume that these are like the Vibram five finger ones. Is that what you uh, I hear th- that? There's pro- the, yeah. So okay. there's probably two different categories of these. Um, um, so, okay, let's take the Vibram five finger ones. If people haven't seen that, it's basically like a glove for your foot where you actually can like each see individual the toe. Yeah. yeah. Um, don't be that guy. <laughs> they were begging across for uh, 14 minutes. Okay. So is there benefits? Yes, there is. There's also benefits to like being naked in public. <laughs> it's like it, there is, but you just don't need to do that. Got it. Now the principle is right. Yeah. So here's what I would do is if you spend time barefooted each day, when you go home, don't wear shoes. Mm-hmm. It's actually just take... No shoes at all. You don't need to go minimalist. No shoes at all. When you're warming up for your workout, take your shoes off. Mm. When you're in the backyard, yep. take your shoes off. That right there is a is a really good way to create foot health, not only foot health, but up the whole chain. And the person's asking a good question because it's, it's big. A lot can get fixed with a stronger foot. Mm. Um, Here's the other side of that. Instead of going necessarily minimalist all the time, every day, all you can go barefoot at home, warming up and in the backyard. But then when you're doing your normal everyday shoe, what you're looking for is not necessarily the, the glove foot, but a low heel differential, meaning there's not a high heel. Zero drop, I think. Uh, yeah, exactly. So a really flat shoe. And the next one is a big toe box. Mm-hmm. So modern day shoes have like a pointed end and a lot of running shoes do actually, which is the worst. It crunches the toes together, makes for a really unhealthy position. Your toes, when they hit the ground, are supposed to splay out. Mm. So if you have a, um, what'd you call that? Like a rounded yep. front, yep. big, it's the, the, it's it's a wide toe, toe box. box. Yep. Yeah, a wide toe box, not a narrow toe box. So what are the worst shoes? High heels. High heels. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Try I to, stopped wearing those years ago. I got to get there. <laughs> um, nobles fit into that category, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly some of them yeah. and most of them. The trainers yeah. do. Absolutely. Um, there are the higher heeled running shoes with the big cushion. Yep. And that's for people that yep. have uh, need the, the the cushion support there. Yeah. And I'll shout out the, the shoe brand that I love that I always use called Lems, L-E-M-S. They're, they both fit in that category of... Yeah. Uh, minimalist or zero drop. So if you look at like uh, the the noble trainer shoes, yeah, yeah, they're like very low heel and a big wide toe box, which we love. Love it. Cool. 
think uh, the think factor. How should someone start journaling? Any source uh, for ideas, techniques, etc. Cool. Love this question. Um, yeah, I'll give. I'll be really actionable and concrete with this. The James Clear um, Habit Tracker Journal. I don't know exactly the real name of it. Okay. But it's the James. That's enough information. If you do, if you go James Clear Daily Journal, it'll pop up. Cool. Buy it, and. Um, it's so cool in terms of like he actually gives you all the different ways. He probably gives you a dozen different ways that you could actually put it into action. Mm-hmm. I'll share what I do, which is um, I track um, the, the key activities I want to be able to do throughout the week. Uh, I track one key thing that happened the previous day. And then I um, say one thing I'm grateful for, one thing I want to be intentional. I want to try to do that day. Mm-hmm. And then I read no more than two pages and I journal about what I, I write down cool. uh, a sentence to five about what I read. Love that. And, uh, and we've talked about this. That's all morning, right? That's all in the, the morning. morning. Yep. Got it. Cool. Uh, next, eat factor. Uh, this is from John. Um, my wife and I have been doing CrossFit for the past six years. In the same time, our children have been participating in the CrossFit Kids program. Our 14-year-old son has now been upgraded to the adult class. It's amazing to see his positive energy and competitive work ethic show up in the adult class. Our question, should we be adding supplements to his daily intake? We eat fairly clean diet of mostly natural foods. Uh, in general, I would hold off on supplements. Mm-hmm. If there's a need, then I would supplement. So how do you know if there's a need? First one would be, um, like caloric intake. So maybe your kid eat like eats like a bird, like my kid does. I try to get them a protein shake if they can, just because you know an extra twenty grams of protein would be so massive. Yeah. He could do that every day. It's yeah. like he's so underserved in that category. Um, but our daughter, not so much. She mm-hmm. eats really healthy and really so. She, there's not a need there in terms of things like creatine or, uh, I don't know what else, pre-workout, things like that. Yeah. No, like yeah. you can hold off, wait till, um, after fold after puberty. Yep. Um, in terms of other kind of, uh, supplements in terms of like, well, what about calcium, magnesium, zinc, vitamin D o- only by need. Yep. So you're not gonna do it just as like uh, insurance just policy, a just in case thing. That's not the way to do that. So what I would do is if you have a blood um, panel profile, only if things are way out of whack, if they're a little bit below, let it be like you don't, people develop at different times, different ways, different things like you don't need to. But if it's way low, right, if his his vitamin D is off the charts low, then maybe because you live in Nova Scotia or whatever it is, then yeah, that might be a reason to do that. If the zinc is way, way low, then maybe. But if it's anywhere near norms, I mean, like even if it's um, 10% low, I would not. And then after puberty is where I would start to like wor- work on optimizing things like that. Got it. Recover. I'm currently recovering from pneumonia, which means no training for four to five weeks. I'm going to start deep breathing exercises next week and Tai Chi. But when I return to my gym, which exercises would be best to aid my recovery and which would be best to avoid? I'm a 48-year-old male, been crossfitting for three years. I love that. Yeah. A breath practice and Tai Chi. Yeah. I've never done Tai Chi. I've been to China and it's awesome to like, you walk through the parks and you see like groups of like 25 to 40 people doing Tai Chi and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, so good on you. 
um, in terms of what exercises when he gets back to the gym, what, what should he do, do he avoid? or avoid? Yeah, both. Nothing different than you were doing before. It's not a movement based thing. It's an intensity based thing. You can still do the highest intensity, like burpee box jumps and assault bike and rowing and running. You can do all those things. But here's what I, I would suggest. Purposely change the reps, um, purposely change the loads, even if you can't do that. So you don't get caught up racing people and don't post your scores or even look at the clock when you finish. Mm-hmm. That way you don't get caught up in this like thing that is the benefit of training this way, which is intensity. You need to go at your appropriate pace. Allow yourself, this is the my protocol, coming back from injury, sickness, pregnancy, whatever it is, allow yourselves 20 workouts. It's not a matter of weeks or days, it's workouts. So if you do two workouts a week, that's going to be 10 weeks. That's a long time. If you do five workouts a week, it's a month and then you're back to it. I love that as a, as a framework. Uh, last question we've got is in our connect factor. How do you surround yourself with the right people? How do you stop being around the wrong people when they're in both your family and friend group? We get this question a fair amount. We get it a lot. It's And rightfully so. I love that people are aware of how their environment matters and environment is not just pollutants and toxins in the air. It's people and people is probably a a bigger one, frankly. Um, Obviously the extreme examples, if you live next to Chernobyl or something like that. Uh, the first is is not going to be easy. It, if it's a um, outside of the friend group, if it's a um, a colleague, if it's a friend a of a friend, a neighbor, someone that your kid goes to school with, pretty easy, right? You just intentionally don't get close to them. But if they're in your friend group, if they're in your family, it's way more challenging. The suggestion would be there would be to to minimize and mitigate. So even with your family, if you know it's, you're just going to make it the minimal viable product, which is I'm going to spend the holidays with them. Minimal viable relationship. Minimal (laughs) viable. You're going to spend the the minimal amount of time and you're going to brace for those Mm -hmm. experiences. What you don't want to do, it's the 80-20 thing. If if, If they're only 20% of your totality of your relationships, that's not enough to tip you over. Yep. You want to make sure that the 80% is solid. If you live with these people, that's probably more like 80-20 the other way. That's the challenge. Mm-hmm. And that might be the type of thing where you have to have the really, really hard conversations like, um, do we need to find a place for mom to live that's not with us? Mm-hmm. And that's a lot harder, but for right now, that's probably not the conversation that this question is asking. This is just like, hey, extended family, they're difficult to deal with. People in my friend group, tough to deal with. There's no such thing as perfect, right? So if you have situations where the drains show up. People are either fountains or drains. They drain your energy or give you mm-hmm. excitement and energy. If there are drains in your life, make sure that they're less than 20% mm-hmm. and then work 
work work to make sure that the other 80% is beneficial. Got it. All right. We're all warmed up now. If you, if folks out there want to get questions in to the queue, find me on Instagram, PS Cummings, drop me a DM with your questions uh, and we'll get them into, um, into a future episode. All right. Ready for the workout? I like the warm up and workout. <laughs> uh, okay. So here's what I want to talk to you about this week. Uh, we have been talking a little bit in, in the, in previous weeks about your morning routine specifically. And it struck me that we haven't Maybe because it hasn't been as persistent as it has in the past, but we haven't really dived into meditation too much. Mm. So I really just want to give us, and it's it's selfish to a degree because uh, I have the last few weeks re-engaged with a meditation practice in the morning. Good, Patrick. Wow. So it's been a cool. while, and so I'm trying to like build those muscles back up. And so I, run, I, I wanted to, um, I just wanted to get your take on like, what does that look like to you? Where did it start? I know I remember we've talked about you've kind of been tricked into meditation. <laughs> so maybe remind us of what that was. And then just kind of get, like give us a sense of the 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 value you're getting, the reasons why it's important, the reason why you've made it uh, an an integral part of your morning routine. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, so I guess the story of how I found so Yeah, just I, just I, I tries to where you are. Like a lot of people I tried yeah. it in the past. Yeah. And I tried it with the Calm app. I tried it with other headspace and all heads, exactly. Um, the first thing I've, is guided meditations do nothing for me. Interesting. Yeah, I never. I same, and and I never. They never stuck. Yeah. yeah. So that's, and that's the way I was introduced to it. Was we actually had a mindfulness expert come to the gym and watch walk us through a meditation. That doesn't do it for me. So that's not to say they're wrong. It's what works for everybody. Yeah. And if there is a thing about meditation that I, after having done it for a pretty regular practice going on close to two years where I'm doing at least like five days a week Mm -hmm. um, for 20 to 30 minutes a day, there's going to be good ones and bad ones. And the goal is not to empty your mind, which is what everyone thinks meditation is. It is not, it is not, it is not to empty your mind. The objective is to become aware of the mind. That's the whole deal. And when your mind is going in chatter mode, and here's what ends up happening when people first start meditating, they get really uncomfortable with it because they go, whoa, when I sit quietly, all of a sudden, it's like yeah. starts acting up like crazy. Yeah. And that's not what's happening. It's not that it starts acting up when you try to meditate. It's always acting up and you're becoming aware of it. Yeah. That is the practice. Is you becoming aware of the voice. That's like full stop period. That's what we're trying to do. And there's all these different practices from um, single points of intention, which people are like you stare at a candle, yep. right? To um, mantra based or the ohms or um, focusing on your breath or um, uh, listen to the, all those are trying to do is get you to calm the mind down into focusing on one thing. Yep. So the, the monkey mind kind of quiets down. The chatter mode where it's like pages flipping so fast you don't get to check out the page. 
All that's trying to do is slow things down to where you're focusing on your breath and it relaxes the mind. If you find that difficult, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. It's not supposed to be, okay, now look at how calm this is and how peaceful it is. Now, the way that this worked really well for me was, as you said, I got tricked into it because to me, there was a hack to bypass a lot of the monkey chattery mind of like, I don't, and this is what would happen. It's like, I have a pretty calm, focused mind for most of the day. When I'm in the shower, when I'm brushing my teeth, when I'm driving to work, I can focus on one singular thing and work to problem solve. That's one aspect of your mind. Let's call that focus. Focus is a really cool place. That's where your mind is in a, I believe it's um, in an alpha state. Mm -hmm. There's another place that it can go to also though, which is um, flow. Mm -hmm. And flow is where it's not, you're not really thinking. It's just kind of like, it's all just like, oh, it's just happening for you. You're not focused on one thing. Like it's a good thing that the mind can focus. It's why we have cars and the internet and air conditioning and all this cool stuff. It's because people could focus on a problem. Flow is where creativity happens. Amazingness oozes out. It is your favorite performer on stage. They're not focused on what's next line. Yeah. They're not um, they're not focused on their fingering. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the, where their hands are on the keyboard, like all that. So they're not it's just letting it pour out. Yep. I think there's three F's. There's the focus, there's the flow, and then there's the F. <laughs> Got it. And that's the monkey. That's where it's like, yep. it's just so that's like, the spectrum is an F to focus to flow. F to focus to flow. Okay. Exactly. Love it. That, that chattery mind is where it's like, you're full of judgments you're full of worry, anxiety. Your mind is jumping from the past to the future, skipping over where you are right now. So all, a lot of this meditation is trying to get you out. Of, it's just to get you out of that state, pulled back into um, that alpha, that singular focus. Focus, focus. That's why breath, like... That Ujjayini breath where you're breathing in kind of that Darth, Darth Vader voice mm -hmm. and you count for five seconds in, five seconds out. That's the whole purpose of that is to get you to calm the mind down. Now, if you can't calm the mind down, that's okay. Yep. The idea is like you're aware of the amount of chatter. That in and of itself is such a heightened state. The awareness of my mind. Meditation, the goal of meditation is not to become a better meditator, mm. which not is what a lot of people do. meditating. It's not to repeat the good meditation you had last week. Yeah. That's the other one is like people like after 10 practices finally go like are able to find a flow state, find a, a quiet mind and like, oh, it was actually really nice. It was really peaceful. I actually enjoyed that. So what do you do the next time you meditate? You aspire you try to do it again. really hard to get there. <laughs> yeah. Well, trying is focus. If you're trying and focusing, you just got to let it go. The goal is here is my mind. Wherever it is, I'm not going to judge it. Mm -hmm. 
That's what we're doing. That's the whole thing. Now, if we can get to where we're doing that, and then we can pull that into when you're not meditating, mm-hmm. that's the idea. The idea is not to find um, Somali where you're like your breath stop. It's like not to find, you know, where your you start your your mind connects with the cosmos and you see kaleidoscopes and lights. It's not to have your body go numb. It's those are all like the side effect symptoms of being in those states, but those that is not the benefit. Mm-hmm. The benefit is when you can then pull that into when your mind wants to freak out because something has triggered you and you go, I'm aware of what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose. It is to get yourself centered. What most people are doing is they're getting pulled to the outside. Someone said something about them. They're your mind freaks out, wants a problem to solve, so it jumps to try into that thing. Yep. And now you're going to tell yourself a gazillion different stories about why that person said that thing about you. Well, someone that has practiced meditation long enough might be might be in a better position to go, ooh, look what my mind just did. Mm-hmm. See how my mind just went there? That's weird. Why would my mind get so caught up in that? Well... I'm not going to judge my mind doing that. Yeah. I'm just going to sit behind it a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's the objective of why we do this. So guided meditations, don't do that for me. Yep. What got me to find that state was to do Wim Hof breathing. Yep. And Wim Hof breathing is just, it. it's like a cheat code mm. to get into a deep meditative state. Yep. And all what they do is they get you really hypoxic, yep. lightheaded. Yep. And when you're there, the mind call it like it just kind of like it kind of goes in this like it doesn't sound like but it's imagine just like this like and you're it's all of a sudden your mind can go it can sit behind mm. everything easier than just sitting there in an English accent going now th- focus on a bird <laughs> think yep. of the bird singing it's like yep. so. Um, the saying is you can get in a deeper meditative state with, uh, you know, three or four minutes of, um, Wim Hof like breathing. I've since changed it. I don't, I don't do Wim Hof. I do a pranayama practice, but you can get in a deeper meditative state in three, four, five, ten 10 minutes of Wim Hof than you can in three, four, five days of silence and solitude. Mm-hmm. So it really is this hack. And what re- is really cool about what Wim Hof has done, and he's done some other amazing stuff, is he's so simplified pranayama. Yep. So pranayama is a, um, a breath and body practice to allow you to find a, a, a good meditative state and honestly to improve your CO2 exchange and um, lung capacity and a lot of physiological benefits as well. Um, more control over your autonomic nervous system. But Wim Hof has essentially done pranayama for dummies. <laughs> He's taken out all of the funky, weird things and gone just... Just like ramp the intensity. Yeah, ramp the intensity, which pranayama doesn't have nearly as much, different versions, um, and all these different practices and nasal breaths and uh, ujjayi breath and um, different paces. And he's like, just breathe. Breathe really 
really deeply. And I don't care if it's through your nose or through your mouth. I don't care if it's sitting or standing. Breathe really deeply, really deeply from your belly, your chest, all the way up into your head, really deeply for three minutes and hold your breath for as long as you feel comfortable. And then repeat that for three, four, five times. That's it. And what you find is by the third breath hold, you're re- you can you can really get to a cool place. Mm-hmm. I never got to that cool place doing anything else. Mm-hmm. And when I found the cool place, I was like, this is neat. Um, then I was lucky enough to work with um, Tom Brady's pranayama breath coach um, who's in the area mm-hmm. and worked with him for a uh, four to six month period. Um, and that's when I instilled that practice in my morning routine. Um, and um, it was just a really nice, cool evolution of it. I don't think if I had found that at first, I would have been as, I, 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 yeah, it's too regimented. Yep. So I, my suggestion is when somebody wants to start off with a breath or meditation practice is to start with Wim Hof because you can see the benefits on the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about the... You know, you'd, you'd, which I think is really important, uh, identified that the point is to be able to introduce or or incorporate some of this, call it mindfulness, awareness, whatever, into everywhere else, into the traffic jam, into the stressful moment with the kid, into fill in the blank, right? The meeting that didn't go well. Can you just talk to me a little bit about like, what does that, what does that actually look like? Like, what have you been able to do? in that realm and the rest of the world that you feel like you can identify, you can say, it's because of the 20 minutes to 30 minutes of sitting I do every morning that I was able to do that thing versus maybe what I would have done otherwise. I don't know the, I don't know the answer to that actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I can draw the exact cause maybe it's something else I've been doing in my life. Um, but I do believe that the goal of meditating is not to become a better meditator. Right. It, it can't be that, right? It's got to be, it's got to transcend the actual practice. Just like I believe the goal of working out is not to become a better worker-outer. <laughs> it's yep. to affect the other 23 hours outside the gym. That's the way the way we do it. Yep. Now, if you want to be a competitive meditator, it's become a better, that's the practice. Yep. But why, I, that's not what I'm doing this for. To me, it's allowing yourself the the space to be able to fall into um, that calm mind. Mm -hmm. And when you try really hard, it does the opposite. Mm -hmm. Now that's not wrong. That's like the thing that we're trying to do is remove the good and bad. We're trying to get away from labeling everything as good or bad. And when we meditate, if you're going like, this isn't it. I'm not there. This, you, it, that's the thing that's holding you back. So when we go, is you go, okay, that actually me labeling this is me judging. So what is the definition of mindfulness? It's become this big word. Yeah. It's um, open-mindedness, positivity, and non-judgment. That's it. That's, oh, that's the whole thing about mindfulness. Well, let's just take that last one, like non-judgment. Yeah. That's the hardest thing we have in our lives. And that's the thing that causes us what the the mystics would call maya, which is the inherent struggle we have as a human being. Mm-hmm. What we're supposed to do 
is once we get beyond the immediate needs of us, which is safety. So now I have food, shelter, water. Um, once we get past that, then I have a sense, and then I want to be able to create a sense of belonging, right? Once I have that, then it's self-esteem and self-actualization, which is a fulfillment, enlightenment, all that stuff. Most of us are still caught up in this physiological, we're, we're trying to satisfy the demands of survival. Mm-hmm. When that doesn't, we're the survival part is just fine. And we haven't popped up above that. And what a practice can do is start to make you more aware of that and go, when I react to these situations, my body thinks that this is to help me, a a case of life or death. Mm -hmm. Like that person, the coworker saying that thing about me. It thinks that that is life or death. So it's going to respond with the same levels of anxiety as me is my tribal ancestors. I might be kicked out of the tribe. Mm-hmm. If I get kicked out of the tribe, I, I'm, I'm gone. I can't survive in the wild by myself. I need my tribe. Well, your coworker saying something bad about you now is not, you don't face that same risk. So what meditation can do is when you simply label like, this meditation is bad. Wow, my mind can't do this. And you become aware of how your mind likes to do that. That's really the goal of just like, wow, look how my mind loves to just kind of like storytell and assign meaning to these things. And it likes nothing more than assigning this is good or bad. And if we can just sit and be aware of how the mind does that, the goal, our ultimate goal is to be comfortable in the many faces of the mind. Mm. Sometimes the mind's in flow. It's pretty easy to be comfortable there. When you're focused, it's easy to be comfortable there. Can we be comfortable when our mind is effed? Mm. Most of us can't. I'm not there yet. I'm there on the smaller things, and that's what we work on. You work on the tiny, tiny, tiny things, like... Um, you burnt your toast. Like, you burnt your toast. Okay, like, does that send you in a fit of rage? Like, we have lots of work to do. Mm-hmm. You go to a party and you see someone wearing the same dress as you. Does that make you embarrassed? Does that send you off the rocker? We have a lot of work to do. Or is it the middle things? Like, you heard your coworker gossiping about you. Like... Your boss says you're not meeting expectations. Like, where does your mind go there? Yep. Well, those are the medium. Like, what le- What can we, where do, where's our threshold? Where are we in the evolution of our consciousness? What I mean by that is evolution is growth. It's betterment. It's development of your conscious. Most of us live pre-programmed, mm-hmm. which means We are ultimate slaves. If I say something, I can trigger your reactions. I own you. Mm. That's not a great way to live. Instead, if we can become evolved consciously enough, we can recognize that that's happening. And that's all it is. Not unconscious, pre-programmed. I'm conscious enough to recognize, Look how my mind goes there. That's really funny. That's weird how it does that. That one little thing made my mind go crazy. 
Meditation is a daily practice that helps us do that in the everyday world. That's the purpose of it. I love that. Cool. All right. Well, you've convinced me. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> We're going to jump straight to our cool down because uh, we've got to wrap this up. So a cool down is just when we take, uh, in this case, our old hopper talk uh, and toss back and forth a, a particular question. And this one is actually from a listener. His name is Alexander. What are some common cues or questions you ask to help with decision-making or reframing beyond stuff like, is this aligned with my goal? You go. I'm going to go first. All right. So I've actually got this is new for me. This is actually re related to 12-hour walk, both specifically and stuff that I thought about as I was on the 12-hour uh, walk. And so I came home, and these are no, not new questions to me. Certainly, I didn't make up any of these questions, but these are five big questions. These are the five mm -hmm. big questions that I've started to ask myself. Oh, you know, are prepared. Yeah, I don't know exactly wow. what, the, what the frequency of asking myself or spending the time necessary to answer these are, but here are my five, uh, five big questions. First, how do, how do I define success? Second, what impact do I want to have? Third, what problem do I want to solve? Fourth, what is my personal Everest, which was the Collins mm. question in the book? And fifth, what do I consider enough? So those are my five big questions. I want to unpack those, but those are great. Give them to us again. So how, what, how, how do, do I define I, how success? How do I find success? Impact. What impact do I want to have? What problem do I want to solve? What's my personal Everest? And what do I consider? Okay, so what you're doing there is he's saying like, how do I figure out how to make decisions? You're using five questions to make sure you are, uh, you're going back enough dominoes, yep. right? You're not trying to figure out like this domino. Yeah, this right. domino, do I want to have it go to the left or to the right? You're going back and going like, am I even on the right road? Mm -hmm. Like, is this the right path? I love that. Mine is incredibly similar, which is... Um, I love the success one. That's a practice that I use with all of my athletes. Yeah. Um, and it's very similar, but is at a really high level, what is the way I want to use my time? Mm -hmm. Like there's only one thing that we know for sure. And that is that we have a limited amount of time here. I really think that's like the only thing that like, and that might be true or not, actually, mm -hmm. but that's what we, that's the working knowledge that we have. If we're working inside of that finite space, to me, the biggest question that we should always ask is, how do I want to be using that time? What should I be focusing on? It's just a different way of doing the same thing that you just did is make sure it's not about, um, should I move to Montana or should I stay in Boston or should I, you know, it's not that type of a question. It's, uh, it's going like, well, let's ask the question before the question. You have to back up a few. And I think that's such a cool way to address any situation. Mm -hmm. If you're in business, it's not about which go-to-market strategy should we ask. It's like, what is our overall objective? And this is why defining who you are matters so much. When you know that... The other questions kind of like almost the solutions kind of present themselves. Yeah. Super cool. Love it. Thank you, my friend. That was great. Thank you to everybody out there listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. And my one question or my one ask of you is if this episode resonated with you, send it to a friend, let them know you were thinking about them. Let them know that they might like this. It helps new folks find the show. Uh, and we always appreciate it. So thank you. Ben and I will be back next week for another episode of Chasing. Excellent.